Guys, I want to introduce a friend of ours and um, Heidi and, and uh, Heidi's dad and Damon's father-in-law. And um, he's also a pastor. And I bragged on him a few weeks ago. I had said uh, he is, and he, maybe he'll tell you a little bit more, but he's, he works with more than 100 churches, or I don't want to put a number on it, um, because of his leadership. And God has blessed him with that. Um, with that gift and that insight and wisdom. So this morning we get to hear from Pastor Mike Haynes. Yeah, Mike, come on okay, up. Good. You guys thank give him a round of applause. Yeah. Encourage thank him a little you, bit. Yeah. Here, bro. yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Larry and Community Baptist Church for this opportunity, but also for being the home church of our family, for your love and care of our kids and grandkids and their activity and ministry. They just have thrived here at Community. So thank you for who you are and the great work that this church is doing. Uh, I got to looking earlier. You know, Larry, Josh has this fancy water holder, and you have nothing. So I'm going to take advantage just in case I need a little drink during the, during the sermon. Am I throat at my age my throat needs a little tender care used to I could you know stomp and yell and all those good things but I have to calm it down a little bit to protect my my throat with my age today but thank you again Community Baptist for your great care and the great work and ministry and of course Robbie and I have been coming and visiting for the last eight years since or nearly that since uh, Heidi and Damon moved to uh, Kodiak uh, with Axel, and shortly after that, Asa was born, and a couple of years later, Waverly, Wavy was born. Um, and so we've been here many, many times, but I can tell you, I sense a fresh spirit in your church, a good spirit. And we're just so thrilled that Pastor Larry and Myra are here and know that that was clearly the hand of God, and he's got a great future for your church without question. Uh, we'll be excited to observe that and hear about that unfold and we'll be back obviously from time to time but I also want to thank the Kodiak Baptist Mission I want to thank Johnny and and the staff Josh and Kelly and Gene for uh, taking good care of Robbie and me we got here before Christmas and stayed with the kids a couple of weeks but I've been on sabbatical after 20 years 20 plus years at my association we've been on sabbatical this last month and so we've been staying at the pastor's house there at the mission, and that's been such a huge blessing, uh, just so uh, enriching and just great. We just couldn't have asked for anything more perfect. And the care of the staff there and Brother Johnny have been so helpful, and so thank you as well. As, as Larry mentioned, I'm, I'm the director of the Greene County Baptist Association in Springfield, Missouri. Now, I pastored while Heidi was born and growing up. I pastored for over 20 years in Kansas City, Missouri. The last 10 years, I was pastor while, while in Kansas City. I was pastor of the First Baptist Church of North Kansas City. And then 20, nearly 22 years ago, Robbie and I moved to Springfield, where I became the director of that association, uh, Southern Baptist. But uh, it, it would be similar there's a little different organizational structure in Southern Baptist than American Baptist, but it would be similar to your regional pastors or your regional directors. Um, 
Southern Baptists have state or regional conventions, and then they have local associations. But just like American Baptists, every congregation is autonomous. Every level of, of denominational life is, is really autonomous. We're, my association relates to the state convention and our National Southern Baptist Convention, but we're totally supported by our churches. And the ministry we do is our choosing. We cooperate in church planting and other things with denom larger denominational groups. But about 100 congregations make up my association. Springfield's the third largest city in Missouri, obviously after St. Louis and Kansas City, down in the Ozarks, great, great place to live. That's just a little bit about who I am and, and uh, what I do. My main work uh, just like, again, your regional pastors or regional directors in, encompasses a lot of areas. Um, but my personal primary work is support and encouragement and mentoring of pastors and then helping churches be strengthened and be on mission for Christ. Those are the overarching primary goals I have. Now, during this sabbatical, I have been doing several things, but primarily completing a book uh, several years ago, I wrote a book focused in, uh, on pastors, trying to encourage pastors, called The Key is to Be, A Practical Primer for Pastors. And I've taken the theme of that book, and there's some similar material, but I've really uh, written another book called The Key is to Be, but this is a discipleship process for Christians. And it's organized so it could be in a study format for a small group or an individual and as I was thinking about uh, uh, Pastor Larry's sermon series and what I might share that would fit with that series, as well as uh, maybe even share a little bit from this book, the second chapter in my book is, is entitled, Be God's Child. And that really is the theme of the message I want to share this morning, having to do with our identity in Christ and then out of that, our service for Christ. And so with that little background, let me lead us in a word of prayer and I'll, and I'll have you turn to our primary scripture for the morning. Father, we thank you for this day and what a blessing it is to be alive, to be your child. Lord, what a gift to be your child and to, and to have this church family, uh, these brothers and sisters that we can fellowship with and worship with and laugh with and cry with and just share life with. Thank you, Lord. What a, what a gift. And Father, as we open your word, I just pray that you would speak to us afresh. Uh, these people aren't here to hear my words, Lord. They want to hear from you. So I pray as we open your word, you would just speak to us from your word in a way that uh, can help us, benefit us, draw us closer to you, strengthen us in our walk and our life in you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And as I said, kind of a theme of the message is, is, is be God's child. But the, the another title is, of course, kingdom people, kingdom mission. Now, in 1 Peter 2, Peter begins the chapter talking about we're newborn babes in Christ, and as such, we need to long for the pure milk of the word. He goes on then to talk about how we are living stones being built into this spiritual house of the Lord. 
And then he comes down to verse 9, and he really, I believe, defines or outlines what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. And so let me read 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, or some translations say people belonging to God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, I, I, I want to begin by pointing out there are two elements to this verse. First of all, this identity element, who, what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. And then he says, out of that, that, he says, partway through the verse, you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, what, what, what makes a Christian? I think that's a, an important question for this day. What defines a Christian? The word Christian is, is, is bantered about just all the time. We hear it in the news and in media and all kinds of definitions that are attached to it. You know, and, and, and I think it's helpful if we regularly kind of come back and think about what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What defines me as a Christian? You know, uh, what makes a Christian? Is it, you know, church membership, baptism, church attendance? Of course, we know that's not it. Is it a certain worldview? Well, Christians may have a certain worldview, but, you know, that in itself can't define a person as a Christian. You know, I've had people tell me they can't believe that there are some people who could be a part of a certain political party and be a Christian. Well, that's ridiculous. What makes a Christian? I've had people say to me, too, you know, well, I came forward as a child and I prayed this prayer. The pre preacher asked me to pray, but, you know, I just don't know where is God. I can't seem to connect to Him. What, what makes a Christian? I'm afraid that Christians, in America particularly, are in an identity crisis. You see, if, if they don't know who they are. We don't know who we are, what defines us. And if a person doesn't know who they are, they don't know what to do. Not only does identity define who a person is, but identity frees us to live who we're supposed to be. When I was in high school, I lived with uh, my grandparents in a small town <clears throat> in eastern Oklahoma. My parents at that time were actually serving as missionaries in South America. And my grandmother... Uh, was a long-time school teacher, retired, great lady, dearly loved. But she was known, and rightfully so, as a very strict school teacher. And so living in her home was a blessing, but at times a challenge. But I can remember on more than one occasion, 
leaving home on Saturday night with my buddies. And the last thing grandmother would say to me as I walked out the door was, Now, Mike, don't you forget who you are. You see, the Haynes had a pretty good reputation in town. There was an expectation of behavior. And since I identified as a Haynes, she expected that I would live a certain way. And so identity is critical for life, decisions we would make, how we would treat other people. Everything really in life grows out of identity. Hopefully, a proper, healthy identity. Now, there are four things in our verse, 1 Peter 2, 9, that I want to touch on this morning that relate to what it means to be a Christian. First of all, Peter says, you are a chosen race. Secondly, a royal priesthood. Third, a holy nation. Fourth, a people for God's own possession. So let's look at these. First of all, you are a chosen people. Think about that with me for just a moment. You are a chosen people. It's no accident you're a Christian. You didn't become a Christian by happenstance or by luck. You know, that word luck has worked its way into our culture. We, all the time we hear, you know, I'm lucky, he's lucky, she's lucky, they're lucky. I catch myself using the word. I try not to, to be honest with you. Because the truth is, if we believe in a sovereign God and we believe the Bible, we can't believe in luck as the current culture defines it. In fact, you won't find that concept in Scripture. You won't find the concept of luck that we use it today in the Bible. And so it's not luck that you're a Christian, not an accident. Well, you might say, well, yeah, Mike, but I was born in a Christian family and raised in the church. Whoa! I would say you are blessed. You are fortunate. That is the hand of God on your life. And so it's no accident that any person's a Christian. You are chosen by God. Now, when I was a kid, uh, the kids in my neighborhood used to gather regularly for all kinds of games. And usually the two oldest, you know, biggest oldest would choose sides. And I can remember on more than one occasion... Uh, lots of occasions, in fact, when they would start to choose sides, you know, well, I'll, you know, I'll take her, I'll take him, I'll take him, I'll take her, back and forth it would go, until one of them would finally say, well, Mike, I guess you have to be on my team. <laughs> H- have you ever been chosen last? I think probably most of us at some time in our lives probably many times, have been chosen last. That's not unique. Well, what what Peter is saying is that God Almighty looked the world over 
And he chose you first. Wow. You are so special. In fact, you are so special that the most expensive price ever paid in the history of the world was paid for you. If you'll turn back to 1 Peter 1, actually it's one page back in my Bible, but in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, Peter writes, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You were bought with the blood of Christ. You were purchased with the most expensive price ever paid. Price ever paid. You are unique, wonderful, and special to God. You are His chosen child. Second, you are God's royal priesthood. Now, what, what, what does that mean, God's royal priesthood? Well, you may remember that according to the system in the Old Testament, the, uh, if, if you were a common layperson, laborer, farmer, shepherd, you know, uh, merchant, and you wanted to connect to God, the only way to do that was through the priest. And so if you were a farmer, you would take, you know, grain to the priest. If you were a shepherd, you would take a sheep. If you were a poor person, you might purchase and take a dove. But you would take your offering to the priest. And then the priest... At the tabernacle, originally the tent tabernacle that Israelites built as the the center of worship initially, and then later the temple, you would take that sacrifice to the priest, and the priest then would take your offering, your grain or your dove or your lamb or whatever it might be, and they would place that on the altar, and they would burn that on the altar. And as that that, uh, offering was burned and as the smoke would rise and the bible explains that 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 smoke rising was like a sweet smelling aroma to the lord now you may have brought a a gift of thanksgiving that would be your way to express thanks to the lord you may you may bring a gift for confession or you may be petitioning the lord it may be a prayer that you're offering, but to get to God, you had to go through the priest. That was the system. And then Jesus came and everything changed. In fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, let me read a verse for us over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And really, a lot of the book of Hebrews is helping us understand the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the transition, the foundation of the Old Covenant for the New Covenant in the Lord. But in in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So then the Lord Jesus came, and Jesus was our supreme high priest. And of course, when he died on the cross, everything changed. In fact, the, the way the temple was organized, you had, first again, the tabernacle in the temple. You had the outer area, that uh, with the outside area, that had certain elements of worship and that the priests and the Levites would care for. And then you had the inner part of the, the tabernacle or temple. And then you had the inner inner part, or the most holy place, or we call it the Holy of Holies. And perhaps you'll remember, as it's described in, in the Old Testament as well as in Hebrews, there was a veil or a curtain that separated the inner part from the most holy part within the tabernacle and in the temple. Once a year, the high priest would go into that innermost place, and the high priest would offer sacrifices in that holy of holies or that most holy place, for the sins of all the people. And in fact, in Hebrews, it even talks about uh, the high priest would offer sins for the people that they didn't even know they had committed, the sins of ignorance, it says. So that just to kind of cover everybody. The high priest would do that in that Holy of Holies area. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus came. He is our supreme high priest. And as he died on the cross, you remember what happened? Tells us in Luke 23, of course it says, As he breathed his last, that veil in the temple that separated the inner part from the most holy part was ripped in two. Thus symbolizing that old system is done away with, now we all have access to God. We all are now his royal priesthood. Oh my goodness. What a privilege, what a, what a comfort, you know, what, and it's not just that we have access, the Lord invites us to come, He asks us to come, He begs us to come into His presence for relationship, for confession, for petition, just to be with Him. You know, Revelation 3.20, we oftentimes use that in uh, uh, evangelism it has to do it says you know behold jesus said behold i stand at the door and knock but that's to christians the lord is is saying let me in and come to me let's get together let's connect there's nothing between us you don't have to go through a priest you are a priest god's royal priesthood he wants us to come and and he listens, and he responds. You know, there are all people all over the state of Alaska that I don't have access to, all over America. I'd go to their office and say, hey, I'm here to see so-and-so. And they'd say, well, do you have an appointment? In fact, if I went in and was too demanding, they, I probably wouldn't let me get an appointment. You know, there's people everywhere I don't have access to, but we, we, every moment of every day, have access to Almighty God. We are His royal priesthood. The other thing about priests, and this is something that Pastor Larry talks about in every sermon, and that is that priests 
not only have access to God, but priests have, and that privilege, but priests have responsibility to bring others to God. You see, Jesus was our supreme mediator, but we also to serve, are to serve as mediators between, the, between those who don't know Christ and the Lord. We, we serve as a, a mechanism, a, a conduit, a bridge. In fact, that's actually what the word priest means. A bridge to bring others to Christ. What a privilege. What a joy. What a place we have as a Christian. Third, we are God's holy nation. God's holy nation. Now, when we think about nations, we typically think about, of territory, you know, a, a country, United States of America, Japan, China, Iran, Iraq, Ukraine, wherever it might be. We think of territory, land. But that, of course, is not what Peter's talking about, not what the Bible talks about when we're called a holy nation. The kingdom of God is about relationships. First of all, our relationship with the Lord and then our relationship with each other, our brothers and sisters. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And if we know Christ, we are a part of God's holy nation. In fact, in Luke 17, Jesus says, they, in fact, the, the, some of those religious leaders were asking him about, well, they say the kingdom is coming. You know, and in Luke 17, Jesus says, well, I want to tell you the kingdom is here now. In fact, the kingdom is among you. Some translations even translate it that Jesus said the kingdom is within you. But the kingdom has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. We, we are the kingdom of God. Well, Robbie and I live in a wonderful neighborhood in Springfield, a uh, little cul-de-sac, and in our cul-de-sac there are several families that are really fine, committed Christians, but there are several people, good people, but they're not, they're not believers, don't go to church, don't consider themselves Christians. And uh, good, good neighbors, but not Christians. But you know, the truth is that, that I have more in common with Christians, believers around the world, with whom I don't share a common language, common culture. I have more in common with them than I actually do with my neighbors who don't know Christ. We're a part of God's family, God's holy nation. I'm an American. I'm glad to be an American. I'm proud to be an American. But first and foremost, I am a part of God's kingdom, God's holy nation. Finally, Peter said, we are a people for God's own possession. Or, as some translations say, people belonging to God. We belong to God. Back to this thing of identity. Identity 
Identity first is rooted in relationship. Relationships are critical for identity. And, and belonging is vital to identity. You know, I, uh, uh, well, Friday night, um, some of us met down at the theater and saw the new Star Wars movie. And uh, if any of you keep, with those of you that keep up with Star, Star Wars, you may remember that Ray, the kind of the central character of these last two leading up to this final number nine, she's in an identity crisis. She doesn't know who her parents are. She has vague memories of them, and it haunts her because she doesn't have roots. She doesn't have an identity. And because she doesn't have this identity, she's not even sure what she's supposed to do. She has these tugs and these pulls inside her, some for evil, some for good, and she's not sure what to do. And it all stems back to a lack of identity. Identity and belonging are so critical. You know, one of the things that Robbie and I enjoy about Kodiak is this community has a strong identity. People like to be, they're proud to, to live in Kodiak and be a part of Kodiak. Proud of the school system and, you know, the, the and various other elements of the community. That's, that's, that's a good thing to belong. Identity. Uh, you know, it's good to have a team. Fun to have a team with whom you identify. In fact, yesterday we took the kids down to the Alutic Museum. They had some kids stuff going on in the afternoon. And, and, and obviously, as you walk through that museum, those, those uh, uh, tribal natives, those Alutics, they're proud of their heritage. That's a part of their identity, their roots, and they're proud of that. And that's good. We need that kind of... A, if, if kids grow up Without that secure type identity to help guide them, what happens? Oh, they get totally messed up. Because we, we need identity as much as we need oxygen. You know, what, what would happen if all at once all the oxygen were removed from, from this room? What would we do? What would you do? Well, I mean, we would be busting to the doors and busting to the windows. We'd be climbing over one another to get, break open a window to get a breath of oxygen. Nothing would matter except that oxygen. That's the same with an identity. If kids grow up without a secure, firm, healthy identity, they get to a certain age and they'll find an identity. They'll find a group or a gang or a cult or whatever it, whatever it may be. That's just reality. That's, that's what happens. And that's a, a primary, uh, if not the main tragedy in our nation today. So many people without healthy roots. And so belonging is critical. Folks, that's what it means to be a Christian. We belong to God. As I said earlier, I'm proud to be an American. Well, I'm proud to be a Haynes. I shared earlier a little bit of my family background. I'm proud to be a Haynes. But more than that, prior to that, more important than that, I'm proud to be a child of God. I'm proud to belong to God. When I was, uh, I'll finish with this story, when I was a little kid, 
I, uh, uh, back in this same neighborhood I mentioned earlier, uh, I was probably about nine years old, and, and, a couple, and some of the older boys in the neighborhood, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, were getting together for a neighborhood baseball game on the, on the school playground, which was actually just down the street and across the, across the street from my house. And they came knocking at my door to see if I could play. Now, it wasn't because I was a particularly good baseball player. It was, this was a poor area of actually East Kansas City, Missouri. And it was because they had actually seen my dad and me uh, playing catch in the front yard of our house. And they knew I had an intact baseball. Now, several of those guys had baseballs, but they, you know, had the cover coming off, or maybe the cover was already off, and, and they knew that Haynes over there, somebody had seen me playing catch with my dad, had a, had a pretty good uh, intact cover on baseball. So, so they, uh, they came knocking on the door. Well, I was thrilled. I was proud. You know, oh boy, they uh, can get to play with the big guys. Well, it became obvious after just a few minutes of playing that even though they invited me to play, they weren't really going to let me play. You, you know how that is. When it came my turn to bat, one of them would step up and say, Here, Mike, let me bat for you, and you can run the bases, you know. And then they stuck me, of course, way out in right field, which was fine, but what frustrated me was then when a ball was coming my direction, one of them would run out and get in the way and, and push me out of the way to try to catch it. Well, that went on for a couple of innings, and, and I really can't remember exactly what happened. I, I really don't remember kind of the turning point or the line, but something happened that just absolutely ticked me off, put me over the ledge. And I, I literally walked to the middle of the field, picked up my baseball, and headed home. And, you know, initially they were, all these guys were, hey, come on, Mike, we'll let you play. We were just teasing you could come play. But by that time, as I said, I'd crossed some line, and I had just gotten angry enough to where I was done with them. And so I just kept on walking. Well, they yelled at me, and then they kind of gave up, and some of them said, we'll forget about it. But one of them, who was kind of the neighborhood bully in that uh, uh, age range, uh, kind of known as a tough kid and, and all, he started following me. And he was several paces behind me, and he was yelling, you know, Haynes, come back, we'll let you play. Come on, we'll let you play, we'll let you bat. But I was past uh, that. And so I just kept on walking. And, of course, I was scared. I was scared to death. Oh, my goodness. But I kept on walking. And I remember I came up to the street. He was, by that time, he was just, really pretty close behind me and said, Haynes, you give me that ball. I know where you live. You'll pay for this. Give me him. And he was mad, but I was not going to give him that ball. Got to the edge of the street. And my house was just kind of down the block across the street over there. And I remember even kind of, you know, calculating in my mind whether or not I should make a dash for it. Because as long as I was walking, he was walking. But I knew that as soon as I took off running, he would run. And uh, trying to figure out if I could beat him to my back door before he caught me. All that was kind of going through my mind. When all at once, total surprise to me, around the corner walked my dad. 
Dad had no idea what was going on. He just kind of happened to appear at that moment. But of course, when I, when I saw my dad, everything changed. I remember slowly walking across the street, standing next to my dad and turning around and looking back at this kid as if to say, Now come get me. Well, what was the difference? Well, the difference was my dad was the one to whom I belonged. That was the one who would protect me, guide me, help me, stand by me the one to whom I belong. You belong to God. I don't know what good things or challenges are going on in your life right now. Whatever difficulties you may be facing, you belong to God. Whatever opportunities lie before you, trust Him, you belong to God. And because of our identity, Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God. Because of our identity, we know how to live. And God will guide our lives. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for the blessing, the privilege, the hope of being your child, being one of yours, the power in life that comes with that. And I pray, God, that as we leave here today, we'll reflect on that. And this week, as we face decisions or as we face crises, we'll remember we belong to you. And what a power and privilege and joy there is in that. Guide us in your grace during these closing moments of our service. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you.